Hey there, I'm your host, TG Brandfault, and you're listening to the Gondrepreneur.com podcast, where we try to bring you the actionable information to normalize cannabis through the stories of entrepreneurs, activists, and industry stakeholders. Today, I'm joined by John Gawa. He's the CEO and founder of Bloom Automations. Um, John, you, you, you guys make robots. We do indeed. We make robots to help the cannabis industry. Uh, so, I mean, that's that's the crux of uh, what we're going to get into a little bit later. Uh, you know, robots, how do they work? Uh, but before we get into that, I want to know about you. Uh, tell me about what you did before entering the cannabis space. Great. So I've been an engineer for about um, seven years now, and I initially started out actually in agricultural robotics. So at a firm called Harvest Automation, and there we made robots that moved potted plants such as rose bushes. And so how did you decide to enter the cannabis space? Did you and, and uh, did you use your previous experience to build uh, this tech? Yeah, so definitely. Um, I would say I was inspired by my previous experience. And honestly, one day I was watching television. I believe it was a CNBC program about the cannabis industry and saw a particular task, this task of trimming, and thought that might be uh, something perfect for robots. So, again, we're going to talk about the robots, but I want to talk about a couple other things first. Um, I want to talk to you about the the accelerator program uh, that you guys are involved in, the the Canopy Boulder program. Absolutely. Uh, um, what was what, what was your application and pitch process like to get involved in that program? How did you discover it? Okay, so Canopy Boulder, we discovered it through the ArcView program. And, you know, we were at one of their conferences. Canopy Boulder was set up with an impressive booth and a list of ca- uh, companies that were at this investor forum. So we got to know them. We got to know Micah. He said, why don't you apply? Um, Later, uh, you know, last fall I was in Boulder and actually met again at Canopy, learned a little bit more about the program, about their alumni, and, you know, found it a fascinating opportunity. So what was the, the application and uh, pitch process like for you guys? Was it, you know, the Shark Tank experience where you were in front of a, a bunch of people? And So we, although we have had that experience um, on stage at ArcView, the Canopy Boulder application was a little more friendly. So um, you mainly filled out a lot of forms online and wrote about exactly why you're in the industry, what your goal is, and, you know, really pitching from there. And why did you choose an accelerator program over other ways of finding investments, such as, you know, finding direct investors or, or venture capitalists? Great question. I think... For us, it was more about getting really immersed in the industry. You know, although laws are changing in Massachusetts, uh, where I'm from, things are really developed out here in Colorado. So to actually get to know industry professionals, get to know hopefully our potential clients and what their needs are, uh, it seemed like a great idea to, to come out here. And the, the Canopy Boulder experience in, in the culture, what, what's that like being working so closely with, with other companies who are uh, designing their own tech or doing something entirely different, uh, you know, and, and working with uh, 
a lot of people who have very, very broad knowledge base. Exactly. I would say it's absolutely fascinating. Um, you know, we get to work exactly like you say with companies that have such varied skills. And in this environment, it's not, not so much competitive as it is collaborative. So, you know, when I needed help design, working on the website, um, Henry from Cannabis Big Data knows all about website, all about analytics, and was able to get me up and running in, honestly, 30 minutes, something that would have taken us weeks or more. Yeah, so to have that kind of collaboration and, um, you know, everyone working towards the same goal, granted they're on the same company, on different companies, but really working towards the same goal in the same industry. So I, I, I had an interview with uh, the, the CEO of the um, San Diego Canopy, and, and he appeared on the podcast. And he said that one of the goals uh, for their program, you know, and they specifically uh, bring in a lot of tech projects is that they're not looking for something that reinvented uh, the wheel, so to speak. You know, they're more inter interested in, in picks and axes um, rather than gold. Uh, so they don't have any companies that touch the plant, that sort of thing. In, in Boulder, do you have the same experience in that program where it's more picks and axes as opposed to the gold, if you will? We do. We do have um, that same experience and uh, the same criteria for it to be an ancillary company. And, um, you know, I think that's, that's interesting. And it's also um, because we're all ancillary companies, we're tied in that sense. Um, our clients are all similar. So it, it's really a, it's kind of a good thing um, for our company. So, so tell me, tell me about your company. Tell me about Bloom Automation. What, what you, 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 have robots. What do these robots do? Who's using them? Great. So yeah, uh, we have robots and it's mainly aimed at the task of trimming, which is, you know, after you harvest the cannabis, you have, um, you have the flowers and then you have the sugar leaves and the fan leaves or the water leaves. And although the leaves are still valuable, you want to remove those and separate them. So there's numerous ways of doing it. Typically, it's hand-trimmed, or, um, or there's some large machines that trim it, but uh, these machines are a little bit, um, a little bit more coarse, if, um, to speak. So we're looking at robots that could use cameras, and they actually look at the cannabis and understand each different plant, each different branch, and are able to cater that when it goes to uh, actually trim and operate on that branch. So these, these aren't like humanoid robots, right, that, that are holding scissors and doing this. These are more production-style robots? I would say it's somewhat of a mix. So our next-generation robot, it, um, it does wield a pair of shears um, that look uh, quite like a regular scissors, and um, it uses an articulated arm that enables it to be more dexterous. Meanwhile, our initial prototype which is online and functioning right now, like you said, looks more like a production piece of equipment, even kind of like a 3D printer. So the robots are changing in form. Already? Already to, um, to kind of make sure we're precise, as precise as a human. And, um, you know, as we learn uh, different 
capabilities and restrictions of a particular robot or system, we're adapting to those. Um, I read that the automation um, increases security. Uh, I, I was wondering if you could just ex- tell our listeners uh, how automation does increase security and, and why. So, um, so automation can certainly increase security by, uh, you know, it's, it's a more controlled environment. Certainly if you have conveyor belts, um, you have your product going from one conveyor, perhaps to a robot. It's all controlled. Um, it's very unlikely you're going to lose any product, particularly with all the cameras, um, automated cameras. And so for that reason, you know, you have a good control of your product throughout the entire process, whether it's trimming or going on through packaging. Automation can certainly help. And you had mentioned earlier that, uh, that your tech is already, um, is already sort of evolving. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what, uh, t- give me some sc- sort of specifics about what, what has happened since the early test phase to, to now. Exactly. So early on, we, although we all, we've always used cameras, we had numerous different sensors for like touch sensors and other sensors. Um, but now we're, we rely completely on cameras and what's changed is in the beginning, the robot was a lot more uh, cumbersome, so to speak. Sometimes it ate an entire flower without really knowing it. Um, now we've refined that algorithm much, much further. So it knows exactly where each leaf is. It no longer has false positives or false negatives. And uh, it's certainly more precise and more efficient. Um, in fact, it's, it's almost 10 times faster than when we started. So, so tell me how you know, how, how much product it can go through and, and how accurate is it? Okay, so it's, we're aiming for the um, production model to go through at least a quarter pound dry equivalent per hour. So that would represent the equivalent of perhaps one to two hand trimmers. And the accuracy is quite good. We're at about 80% right now, but we really want to hit that 95% threshold, which is you know, it starts looking exactly like a hand trim product. Um, it's very precise. How far are you away, do you think, from, from hitting that 95% goal? So we have beta testing to begin at um, some cultivation sites across the country, about six of these sites. And from there, that's where we'll really start to gather data. So we'll see, you know, how are these actually performing in real life? What is the accuracy that the cultivators are reporting? Because it is something of a subjective matter. And um, from there, we're going to make incremental improvements until we hopefully get to that 95%. What do you, what do you mean by, by it's subjective? What, do, what does that mean when you're dealing with data? Data is not really subjective. Right. So, But for accuracy, some would say some cultivators prefer a closer cut where you know, perhaps you're trimming the sugar leaves very down low, um, of course, getting all the crow's feet. But other trimmers, especially when the product is wet, might consider it okay to leave some sugar leaf because it is still, have, still has product on it, um, active product. So I think it depends from cultivator to cultivator. And that's actually something we would want to program into the robot. So 
this is one of the levers they can pull. But we want to make sure when they pull that lever, they're getting the desired outcome. So, so the system is adaptable. That's correct. So there will be some uh, tunability, whether they want, like I said, a closer trim or perhaps a looser trim. And, um, and that could be for numerous reasons, um, from speed to, of course, just how they like their product. It's, that's really cool stuff. Uh, we got to take our first break. I'm TG Brandfall. This is the Entrepreneur.com podcast. This episode of the Gondrepreneur.com podcast is made possible by Name.com, a global provider of domain name, web hosting, and email services. Every successful cannabis business needs an online presence. And every successful online presence begins with a domain. From your website to your email address, a good domain is easy for your customers to remember, it looks nice on a business card or billboard, and it reflects the true identity of the project it represents. It's important to reserve your domain early on when you are starting your business, as you may find that the .com address for your preferred brand or concept has already been taken. If somebody has already purchased the ideal.com for your business, they might be willing to sell it. But if they aren't, you may have to get creative with one of the new alternate domain extensions, such as .co, .club, .shop, or even .farm. Reserve your domain name today at name.com slash If you are a domain name investor or venture capital firm interested in acquiring or advertising premium cannabis domains, go to the Gondrepreneur domain market to browse a wide variety of names, including strains.com, cannabismedia.com, mj.com, and countless others. Discover branding opportunities for your next startup and learn about listing your premium domain names for sale at gondrepreneur.com slash domains, sponsored by name.com. Hey, welcome back to the Gondrepreneur.com podcast. I'm your host, T.G. Brandfault, here with John Gawa, CEO and founder of Bloom Automation. Uh, before the break, we were talking a bit about you know how the robot works, and uh, but there's there's going to be uh, a, you're definitely going to get to get some voices who are saying that you know one of the benefits of legalization is job creation a february report from new frontier estimated the cannabis space would create 250,000 jobs by 2020 while manufacturing government and utility jobs decrease by 814,000 respectively um what is your response to people who might see your robots as a threat to job creation in the cannabis space yes yeah, so the robots um, and automation in general really works to increase efficiencies, and often what occurs there is, as opposed to eliminating jobs, you're actually creating more jobs, um, such as everything, the robot needs an operator. These current robots, um, for example, don't feed themselves. The branch need, branches need to be fed in. And then, of course, there's robot technicians, robot programmers, um, and a number of jobs that are actually on-site jobs that would be created. What we like to look at is the efficiency improvements that these robots can provide uh, employers and enable them to employ even, even more people, whether it's down the line or actually helping the robots. 
Well, and, and tech companies need a variety of, uh, of talent as well. Um, what, what are you guys going to be looking for as you expand in terms of talent? Certainly. So everything from, of course, programmers who are experienced in robotics and uh, specifically vision to then we would need robot technicians across the country because, you know, robots, they break down like any piece of capital equipment or any piece of equipment, really. And so we would be wanting to train particularly people that are familiar with other equipment in the cannabis industry, whether it's they're trained on lighting equipment, you know, dehumidification equipment. We would be looking for those same people and hopefully train them how to work on the robots so that we have technicians capable all across the country. And when, when a cultivator needs them, they can go out and service the, the robots. And of course, uh, individuals that would operate the robots. Um, and then we are planning on United States manufacturing. So we'll need an army of assembly technicians as well. So far, have you been able to find qualified uh, people to do the jobs that you're looking for? And um, if so, what sectors are they coming from? Yeah, great question. So we've, for example, we've been looking for contractors that are familiar with cameras and how um, cameras integrate with robots. And typically that's in an automation field. And we found contractors everywhere from Denver to San Diego to Tampa, Florida, who all not only have an interest in the field, but uh, have a strong interest. They see it as a growth industry and um, and have said that, you know, there's requests from other people, from cultivators themselves. So we've had very good response, honestly, from vendors and and industry professionals outside of the cannabis industry. Uh, what other functions might robots be able to perform in the cannabis supply chain? So we've already seen some equipment, whether you would call it automation equipment or robotics, um, that help package cannabis, help package flour. One of the things I know um, that's being looked at is packaging concentrate products. Uh, no pun intended. It's, it's really a sticky process. And yes. Um, <laughs> and, you know, it's. Tough. I love yeah, puns. It's tougher. Tough to really, what uh, the process is called gramming, and I think it's pretty tough to do manually. And that's something that that people might be looking for towards robots for, or are they already being utilized? So they're not being utilized, but uh, they are looking towards that. Um, just one example to help packaging, help uh, packaging efficiency, consistency. So that every time you look at the product, it it's consistent with what you expect. Um, and when you approach a uh, a cultivator and you tell them, "Hey, I've got these trimming robots," do I mean, what's their reaction? Generally, the reaction is fairly positive. I think trimming is often seen as um, one of not the most desirable jobs in the industry. And so what we hear from cultivators is they love their great trimmers, but all their great trimmers want to do is move up to that next level where they're no longer trimming. Um, so it's difficult for them to find good trimmers. And if they could instead operate robots, that would really equate to this quality. They would love to do so. 
How much training would somebody who's trimming by hand now need to operate one of these robots? So um, certainly I think a large population of the trimmers right now are, you know, of the age that they're quite familiar with technology and the, the robot's operated through a touch panel control. It's fairly intuitive. You know, it's um, a small combination of mechanical, just how you load the branches, and then simply following kind of on-screen instructions. Um, I think they would get sort of used to the errors that might happen with a robot and uh, learn how to adjust those pretty quickly. It's, uh, it's very, very similar to the how humans work with robots in the automotive industry. It's pretty collaborative. So you don't need to have like an engineering degree or something to operate these? Things. No, absolutely not. We would, we really would count on those uh, hand trimmers and other employees to, to assume these roles. We got to take our last break. Um, when we come back, we're going to talk about something you and I both know a little bit about, and that's cannabis in, uh, on the East Coast. Uh, before we do that, we'll take a break. This is Entrepreneur.com podcast. I'm T.J. Brandfall. At Gontrepreneur, we have heard from dozens of cannabis business owners who have encountered the issue of cannabis, which is when a mainstream business, whether a landlord, bank, or some other provider of vital business services, refuses to do business with them simply because of their association with cannabis. We have even heard stories of businesses being unable to provide health and life insurance for their employees because the insurance providers were too afraid to work with them. We believe that this fear is totally unreasonable and that cannabis business owners deserve access to the same services and resources that other businesses are afforded, that they should be able to hire consultation to help them follow the letter of the law in their business endeavors, and that they should be able to provide employee benefits without needing to compromise on the quality of coverage they can offer. This is why we created the Gondrepreneur.com Business Service Directory, a resource for cannabis professionals to find and connect with service providers who are cannabis-friendly and who are actively seeking cannabis industry clients. If you are considering hiring a business consultant, lawyer, accountant, web designer, or any other ancillary service for your business, go to gondrepreneur.com businesses to browse hundreds of agencies, firms, and organizations who support cannabis legalization and who want to help you grow your business. With so many options to choose from in each service category, you will be able to browse company profiles and do research on multiple companies in advance so you can find the provider who is the best fit for your particular need. Our business service directory is intended to be a useful and well-maintained resource, which is why we individually vet each listing that is submitted. If you are a business service provider who wants to work with cannabis clients, you may be a good fit for our service directory. Go to gondrepreneur.com businesses to create your profile and start connecting with cannabis entrepreneurs today. Welcome back to the Gondrepreneur.com podcast. I'm your host, T.G. Brandfault, here with John Gowa, CEO and founder of Bloom Automation. So you had mentioned earlier you're from Massachusetts. Uh, I lived in New York for years and years. I spent tons of time in Massachusetts, and um, I was stoked and maybe a little surprised when they passed uh, cannabis uh, legalization last November. It was a huge domino that toppled in New England uh, because of Boston and, and you know the power politics that are played. I'm certain, certainly sure you you know in, in Massachusetts. Um, 
were you confident going into that vote? You know, what were your feelings as a as a native going into the into the November election? You know, I was I was hopeful, but I wouldn't say I was completely confident. Um, I knew it was in the earlier polls it was somewhat split, um, but at least you know we had passed medicinal and then decriminalization. So I was hopeful we would follow suit. Um, and certainly pleased with the outcome there. Do you have the same sort of feeling that I do that that it was kind of the first domino? I mean, that and Maine, I mean, it was a simultaneous thing. But to me, New England, or I'm sorry, Massachusetts is sort of the bigger of the two fish if, if we're frying them. Um, you know, do, do you kind of get that sense as well that, you know, I mean, now we got Vermont who just the legislature passed a strange legalization bill. Delaware's working on it. I hear Rhode Island. But do you think that it took Massachusetts to kind of get that ball rolling? Personally, I do think uh, it did take Massachusetts to really get everything rolling. Um, and I think, you know, just as other states have looked to Colorado, including Massachusetts, I think other New England states will continue to watch Massachusetts as the legalization plays out. Well, and there's been some setbacks. The legislature delayed implementation from January to July 2018. Several municipalities that have enacted either moratoriums or total bans. Um, they have approved the funds for the program, which is a start. Um, how confident are activists and cannabis business owners in Massachusetts that the state will meet that July 2018 deadline? And, and what are your concerns about the law, if any, uh, or its implementation? So I certainly hope that the law is um, implemented. You know, as you said, it was supposed to be in January. Um, I certainly hope in, in July, you know, I think the voters have voted. Um, the time has come. For those um, the cities that haven't, you know, for the cities that haven't um, or that have pushed back, I think they're really, you know, they're losing out, and I'm sure eventually they'll turn, just as some cities here in Colorado have. Um, and then, yeah, I'm not 100% confident on their actual meeting their timeline. It's really. <laughs> Finally, what, what advice would you have for entrepreneurs, specifically those interested in entering the tech sector? Great. So I think, you know, there's ideas, there's thousands of ideas, but really I would say building your team, whether it's just you and a partner or you and two partners, building a team where you really complement each other and then, um, and then really looking at your opportunities. So, if you have an idea and you have a prototype, then maybe you start looking for some investment. But otherwise, these these uh, incubators are really, you know, it's a really good opportunity to to get to know the entire industry, get to know venture capital. Uh, you know, myself, I'm not an MBA, but this is kind of like a mini MBA. And I would certainly <laughs> advise that to any entrepreneur, whether whether you're an engineer or not, or a business professional or not. And finally, can you tell us where we can find more about your product? Absolutely. So on our website at bloomautomation.com and, of course, um, at our Twitter at Bloom Robots. Both is a great opportunity to learn more. Awesome, man. Well, thank you for taking the time out 
to uh, be on the show. Um, you know, it's it's really cool. Uh, tech that you guys are, are rolling out, and I really can't wait to see how it exactly develops. You know, that's that's I think going to be a really fascinating thing to keep my eye on. Yes, thank you really much, uh, Tim. I love the show, and I'll be anxious to uh, hear more from you. Thanks so much. You can find more episodes of the Gondrepreneur.com podcast in the podcast section of Gondrepreneur.com and in the Apple iTunes store. On the Gondrepreneur.com website, you'll find the latest cannabis news and cannabis jobs updated daily along with transcripts of this podcast. You can also download the Gondrepreneur.com app in iTunes and Google Play. This episode was engineered by Jeremy Sebastiano. I've been your host, T.G. Brandfault. Brandfall.